Today, I had the opportunity to talk with Patty Maz, who's a professor at the MIT Media Lab and head of the Fluid Interfaces Group, where fluid here is an adjective rather than a noun, describing the seamless integration that her cognitively enhancing devices focuses on. She's realized long ago that with humans having cell phones on them 24-7, we've effectively already became cyborgs, just really, really inefficient ones. She aims to fix this. She uses EEG, EOG, heart rate sensors, and other biomonitors to provide input to AI and traditional algorithms, which can then give feedback to a user in the form of images displayed on mixed reality goggles, haptic feedback, or other electronic output, which can be used to improve people's day-to-day -day lives. She's an exceptionally busy person with literally dozens of projects going on, and we only had 30 minutes to talk to her today, although it easily could have taken up five hours of her time. We didn't get to go over nearly half of her projects, so I'll provide a link in the description below where you can find more about her work if you're interested. I hope to have a second discussion with Patty in the near future to discuss more of these exciting ideas, but until then, I hope you enjoy the conversation. Thank you so much for you know sparing some of your valuable time to talk with us today. One of the things I noticed when I was doing some research about you, you know, Zapien's group is familiar with some of your work, but you really have a huge body of work spanning over the past 30 years. Mm -hmm. That's honestly difficult a little bit for me to summarize. <laughs> Would you be able to give a 30 second uh, yeah. you know, description yeah. of what you're working on? Well, um, I studied AI as a student, but um, as soon as I graduated with my PhD, I sort of came to the realization that I was much more interested in helping people with being smarter, more capable, and so on, rather than building smart um, systems, basically, AI systems. So all of my work has been about how can we help people with better decision-making, with uh, learning more efficiently, with uh, better memory, with motivation, with attention, with grit, um, with creativity, um, all of those, basically. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I personally counted at least... 12 projects that you've been involved on in the past even 10 years or so. And mm -hmm. I've seen you mention before that you have basically more ideas than you have students that can work on them. <laughs> um, how do yeah. you decide, you know, which projects to devote yeah. manpower to? Yeah. Well, um, basically, I very much believe in giving students some ownership uh, over the projects that they work on. So rather than sort of when a student comes in telling them you're going to work on this project or that project, I present them um, with a range of opportunities and try to find something that they get really excited about and that they really feel like connects to them personally in some way. Sometimes we start from their idea, actually, and transform that. So I think people just work harder and are a lot more motivated if it feels like it's their idea also that they're working on and not just me assigning something to them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, so just to name a few, and um, there's uh, Alter Ego, mm -hmm. um, Essence, which is a scent-based mm -hmm. device, um, uh, Psychic VR, mm -hmm. um, Project Us. I'll give some, I'll, if it's okay with you, I can oh, post yeah. some things online yeah, linking sure. to your projects. Is there anything that stands out to you as kind of your favorite project or <laughs> most inspiring? Well, it's really hard to uh, to pick one because then I would pick one student's work <laughs> over sure. that of the other sure. ones. So I think all of them have, have uh, a great potential, actually. Um, and again, all of them are sort of uh, motivated also by what the students themselves are interested in, whether they're more interested 
interested in helping people with effective communication, whether they want to help people uh, who may have certain disabilities, for example, uh, with um, uh, helping people like that communicate more effectively. So I think it's it's hard to compare them or to pick a favorite. Yeah. yeah. But I think in all of the work, we try to... Um, innovate both in terms of the methods that we use, mm. but then also work on something that potentially would make a big difference in uh, people's lives. And sure. that, that could be a smaller difference in a lot of people's lives <laughs> for a large user, uh, target user group, or a big difference for a smaller group of target users, like helping uh, people that have MS or uh, ALS with uh, being able to uh, express themselves still and communicate, for example. Sure. Yeah. yeah kind of an area mm -hmm. under the curve sort of thing. Um, on the topic of kind of making some innovations along mm -hmm. with the projects you're working on, is there any sort of technology that doesn't currently exist? So as a precursor, mm -hmm. a lot of your devices, you know, integrate AI um, hardware, various yeah. software algorithms to produce something that isn't necessarily, you know, the next generation of general mm -hmm. relativity, but it's kind mm -hmm. of combining existing technologies in mm -hmm. a very intelligent and unique mm -hmm. way. Is there some technology that's currently missing that if it existed, you would be able to make, you know, some mm. great device? Yeah. Um, I don't think that there's a specific sort of thing that we're waiting for. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, as you said, what, what makes the Media Lab in general, actually, not just my work, but the Media Lab in general unique is that we bring together a lot of disciplines, actually, and a lot of uh, technologies. And uh, these days, universities are very compartmentalized and uh, uh, people are an expert in a very small area. And I think what is uh, unique here, and, and it's a little bit our secret sauce or <laughs> or something is that we um, integrate a lot of um, uh, new ideas and, and uh, recent ideas from different disciplines. Uh, in my case, that can be things like neuroscience and AI and human-computer interaction and electrical engineering and um, so design. Uh, and yeah, that's really, I think, um, the way we innovate is by uh, bringing things together and also having teams that actually are very interdisciplinary. So I have students uh, from a variety of backgrounds. I have philosophers in the group, electrical engineers, uh, AI people, designers, uh, neuroscientists, a little bit of everything. Mm -hmm. So you've been at Media Lab for 27 years or so something 30, like this it's not exact okay <laughs> 30 all right no one's counting yeah. but um mm -hmm. i know that you started out actually in a software agents group that mm -hmm. you were running and yep. nowadays you're running the fluid interfaces yeah. group which yeah. by my description would be more focused on kind of building um physical devices that help humans mm -hmm. rather than just software so mm -hmm. what led to the transition from pure software into actual you know yeah. hardware devices well, it was a, a bunch of things, really. Um, one was the realization that if we work on wearable devices or immersive devices of some sort, like AR and so on, that we can be present uh, or we can help people all day long, <laughs> sort of, and not just when they're sitting in front of their computer. So that was a big reason, actually, to um, really um, yeah, meet people and help them in their daily life, wherever they are. Um, it was also the realization that people were starting to carry cell phones and have them with them all the time and so on. So we realized, well, we're 
we're cyborgs. <laughs> All of us are now carrying uh, phones and we never want to be without them. And it, it would be a disaster if that phone would be uh, taken away. I mean, you can get a new one, but imagine you couldn't get a new one with the same data. That would be a big problem because this is part of your brain now. And um, this is uh, what, what helps you uh, perform and, and uh, get through the day and so on. So that realization that... Um, people now will always have digital technology on them and we can um, go further in that direction and think about how these systems can integrate better with uh, people's thinking, with their behavior and so on. Because right now, of course, they're not at all integrated and they're very disruptive and so on. Yeah. So this is something also we wanted to ask you about, which is... Um, Back in the 90s or so, you did have some uh, hardware devices that were already in existence. And I think you might have made some comments such as, if these, if only these devices were a little bit more wearable, and maybe I can post online uh, what they used to look like. They're you know, quite cumbersome. By my estimation, a lot of your devices look really great and really mm -hmm. useful. Um, they haven't really seen widespread adoption. Mm. Even you know, commercial yeah. products like Google Glass and yeah. HoloLens from Microsoft. Um, do you have any ideas what's preventing kind of a widespread yeah. uptake? I, I mean, what I've learned by being here long enough is that it takes a very long time for hmm. new developments to ultimately make it in the marketplace, even though something could be technically realized and uh, commercialized right away. It, um, an example of that is some work that we did in, um, it started in 83, we started work on recommendation systems that recommend um, information or products, music, films, and so on, based on what other people's interests are. Um, so we started that work in 83, mm. before web browsers existed. It was an email-based system <laughs> that you could say, like, hey, send me some more movies. Here's the ones that I like. Give me some recommendations. Yeah. And... Um, a, a year later, we started a company around this, and we went to places like Blockbuster. You guys probably don't even know anymore <laughs> what Blockbuster is, because in the meantime, they're out of business. But um, we uh, would tell them, hey, look, we can personalize recommendations of movies for your uh, customers and so on. And they were like, well, um, and that was by then there were browsers or browsers were becoming a thing in e-commerce and so on. And they said, well, we're not sure people, this e-commerce thing is really going to take off and nobody's going to want to give their credit card over the internet <laughs> because somebody could steal it and do something with it and mm -hmm. so on. And ultimately, we, we were 10 years too early with that company. Um, we still made money selling the company to Microsoft, um, but we were just much too early. And it was years later that companies doing the exact same thing, basically recommendation engines for information, uh, were doing very well. Um, so, yeah, it takes a long time. And that was even pure so only software. Right. But if you also have hardware and so on, it, it takes a long time. Yeah. yeah. So with the um, Firefly, the company, um, you had remarked that, you know, the idea is, you know, kind of a little bit ahead of its time. And I believe that, unfortunately, you, it was sold right before the dot-com bubble, where yes. you know, it might have been a little bit more profitable. Um, is yeah. there the idea of something being too early... Did you know that at the time, or is it kind of only in hindsight that you can look no, back and be No, it's only like, in hindsight. Mm -hmm. And now I know 
well, because I've seen a couple of examples like that, that that is just um, the way things go. Mm. That even though we thought the market should be ready for this, it wasn't at all ready because they were dealing with even getting a website in the first place, sort of. And they're like, well, personalization, recommendations? No, that we're not ready for that. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, it, it takes time. And now I... I understand that better. <laughs> but yeah. we do have some other success stories though, from the lab. <laughs> like, uh, um, actually, you may have read just a few weeks ago, Tulip um, yes. is a mm -hmm. spin-off from the group as well, yep. uh, doing basically augmented reality and um, integrating sensors into manufacturing uh, warehouses. And um, they are almost a billion-dollar company in terms of valuation now. So um, it's exciting to see uh, real results like that and real impact. Uh, I was looking through some of your um, mm -hmm. projects relating to kind of augmented reality. Mm -hmm. um, so you have um, Possessed mm -hmm. Hand, which is basically where some expert can kind of guide, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you into doing some sort of expert action like mm -hmm. molding clay. Um, mm -hmm. I, I was hopeful it maybe it could be used for, you know, practicing free throws for basketball. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> And there's other um, augmenting devices you have, which are related to maybe teaching someone a new language, yep. um, help, helping them pay attention. Mm -hmm. um, something that's really important to a number of you know people we know is it doesn't really feel right to have a device that can speak a language for you. You know, mm -hmm. there's some sense in which you want to be the one yes. who can do it. Yeah. How, how do you approach this problem of wanting yes. to be the human instead yeah. of the device? No, I think that's a, a very important question. And I teach a course actually on the augmentation technologies at MIT as well. And, and that's one of the discussions that we have all the time. I think, um, I mean, I often quote Marshall McLuhan who said, Every um, extension is also an augmentation. If you adopt some technology that does something on your behalf, then you also lose something. You gain something, but you lose something. Um, if you had a calculator um, tattooed on your arm so that you could always immediately like, do some computation <laughs> um, whenever you need it, people would have a less good sense of numbers and arithmetic and so on, and they would lose something at the same time as gaining something. Um, so I think it's very important to think about what kind of augmentation uh, you want, you ultimately want to um, sort of realize. And in some cases, it's okay uh, to delegate something to uh, a system, um, or another person, it's just like people, like I'm okay with not knowing how to fix my car and I'm happy just letting the mechanic do that. But in other cases, it's very important that the technology maybe teaches the person how to uh, accomplish a, a certain skill because it is a skill that is really important for doing well in life and it's sort of a basis for maybe other types of functions and skills that they um, may have so or that they may may want to develop so it's very important to think like should the augmentation technology automate something on my behalf should it teach me how to do something and then it makes itself obsolete in a way or are we um, maybe helping a person who has lost a certain natural ability regain some ability by uh, giving them an augmentation device in the case of um, 
for example, people with MS or ALS uh, still being able to speak uh, or communicate with other people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, this kind of relates to something else that I wanted mm -hmm. to ask, which is um, you've mentioned in the past how, you know, in the 80s and 90s, there were you know, recommendation systems or sorry, there were expert systems, mm -hmm. which was some early models of AI mm -hmm. that eventually failed because mm -hmm. basically people weren't listening to the end users on what mm -hmm. would be useful to them and working closely with them. Um, there's kind of the more broad question of, you know, who mm -hmm. should be driving this discussion of what augmented humans should look yeah. like. Um, so could we get your your thoughts on that? Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's very important that you involve the target users mm -hmm. early on, that you don't sort of assume that you know what they need or what they want. Um, at the same time, I think you don't want to go so far as to ask target users what is it you need because they may not realize what the possibilities are right. the technical possibilities so it's this it has to be this back and forth where um, I very much believe in in sort of incremental uh, approaches uh, and iterative approaches I should say not incremental iterative approaches to um, inventing new technology where you um, create something you invite feedback from target users and from other people as well, because other ex uh, people may also be affected by the technology. Right. And then you iterate on the designs. And uh, so, yeah, rather than thinking that you as the designer or the inventor know what it is that is needed. Um, mm. I think it's important to be humble and invite as much input as possible from everyone especially from the target users right yeah. yeah yeah there's a quote that's commonly attributed to henry ford of if you asked people in 1904 what they wanted they would have said faster horses yeah um, <laughs> but of course you don't want to you know it's a fine yeah. line to walk yeah. it seems well, to be mit is um, probably working on that as well right <laughs> <laughs> maybe we still need that <laughs> yeah um well actually on the topic of kind of yeah. maybe augmented organisms behind besides humans mm. um you know most of the projects that you've been working on are directed at humans. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on, you know, augmenting, it's maybe not so possible digitally, mm -hmm. but it would be possible chemically, like with mm -hmm. Kevin Esfeld's work, for example. Mm -hmm. um, do you have any ideas in this sort of field of augmented yeah. organisms? Um, I haven't done a lot of work in that area, although I'm definitely very interested in how we can augment both people and nature in general mm. so that we can communicate better, actually, and understand each other better. So we've done a little bit of work on plants, for example, oh. and uh, engineering plants, um, to send signals when they uh, detect pollution, for example. So that was one student who was uh, specifically interested in that area. Um, other people at the lab, not in my group, but have looked at um, ways of communicating with animals um, because, yeah, we can collect larger data sets now of uh, um, sounds that they make and so on and, and use powerful machine learning technologies to try to translate in some way <laughs> um, uh, maybe the noises or the signals that they give off. Yeah. Sure, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so maybe somewhat unrelatedly, um, I've seen you say that you're less intrinsically interested in technology and more mm -hmm. interested in 
what it can be used for to help mm-hmm. humans. Um, and this is something that I personally relate to really strongly. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't care so deeply about particle physics. I more care about what its uses are for mm-hmm. you know humans and the world in general. But if all of humanity's problems were solved, I would probably be playing basketball every day or something like this. So on yeah. kind of a personal level, mm-hmm. you know, do you have ideas on what you'd be doing if you weren't, you know, hmm. driving the world the way you are? Yeah. Well, I think the job is fulfilling in two ways. On the one hand, we are trying to um, yeah, help people with all sorts of things and, and make a difference in terms of how we uh, use our devices and what role they play in our, our lives and so on. But um, I'm also, um, I get a lot of satisfaction from working with students <laughs> <laughs> and advising students and mentoring students and make sure that they are super successful when they graduate here. So that's, I have to say that that is actually another secret motivation that I have <laughs> for this job. <laughs> that it's just wonderful to um have access to like the brightest, uh, most creative uh, people in the world mm-hmm. um, and and then help guide them a little bit sort of in certain sure. directions. So, huh. yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, so we've mentioned how just now you have really great students here at the Media Lab and how in general the Media Lab is a nice interdisciplinary mm-hmm. work area. Um, is there something that's limiting you? Are you limited on the funding side? Like, what's the mm-hmm. bottleneck in your work, would you say? Yeah, well, definitely, to be totally honest, with COVID and with the whole Epstein thing that happened, okay. funding did go down. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yes. um, so we're still sort of re- rebuilding our uh, reputation a little bit. And, and I mean, COVID also played a large role because the Media Lab is such a, mm. is so important in terms of a physical um, environment. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very much, uh, as you can see here, very open and we do a lot of uh, collaborations between people. It's not about people sitting in their little office and thinking hard about a problem and, and solving it or something. It's it's all about communication, collaboration, bringing people together, and that was uh, very limited uh, for the last two years. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Okay, yeah. Uh, hopefully it's coming back, although yeah. it's not It is. It is getting on. better, definitely. Um, but it's, yeah. as someone who's not affiliated with Media Lab, it's mm-hmm. really kind of amazing to come into this space and you just get a sense of what's mm-hmm. going on. It's a really kind of unique environment. Mm-hmm. That's um, It is, and it plays a unique role at MIT, I think, mm-hmm. because we are a place that does more integration and bringing disciplines together and yeah. and really thinking about um, the society and the external world and, and sure. uh, implications of all these new possibilities for society and for people. Sure. Yeah. Um, so one question somewhat related to uh, the diverse set of skills that's mm-hmm. found at Media Lab. Um, you were kind enough to come to a Zapian symposium, mm-hmm. what was now two years ago. And the board of uh, panels was, uh, the panel members was basically you, um, mm-hmm. Max Tegmark, George Church, mm-hmm. Ed Boyden, and David Sinclair. Yeah. Um, and that was really a great time. Mm-hmm. I forget who someone had made a remark of, you know, this is a diverse panel. And you had kind of responded, well, <laughs> it's not quite diverse enough. So um, yeah, it would be great to get your thoughts on, mm-hmm. you know, what would, if you had to select say five people or maybe eight people mm. um you don't have to name names but what would that look like would you have that all be professors would they mm. be old people young people male female like what 
So yeah, I think um, MIT in general is very, of course, engineering and technology centric. Mm. And sometimes uh, I feel that for example, um, the humanities and mm. so on are not represented enough in these important discussions about what future we want. Uh, philosophers and <laughs> historians and uh, all these people have a lot to, to teach us, uh, basically. And uh, so that's one direction or one way in which that panel was not diverse enough I think that it was all these people that were like so excited uh, about technology and, and technology is great and so sure. on another way was that it was on gender very gender balanced mm -hmm. uh, half of the world is female or more so why weren't there more women there it mm -hmm. wasn't very racially diverse That's or not true. at all racially diverse mm -hmm. we didn't have people from different economic or uh, geographic mm -hmm. backgrounds mm -hmm. um, we keep I mean, a lot of the work there was very much about how rich, uh, white, Western people can augment themselves to live longer, as opposed to like, how can we help people that don't have uh, some of their basic needs met in other places? And, and I mean, I'm guilty of it as well, but sure. I think that was definitely missing in that panel. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. It certainly seems like mm -hmm. there's a lot of um, kind of low hanging fruit, a lot mm -hmm. of easier ways to improve the world. So uh, something that I wanted to ask you about that's kind of in the maybe public domain mm -hmm. a little bit more is I'm sure you've heard of GPT-3 mm -hmm. um, and the advanced language models that they have, yeah. which is basically just cram as many parameters, billions and billions of parameters mm -hmm. into a huge system as, you know, as good as possible yeah. and train it. Um now they're coming with GPT-4. Mm. Um, do you think that this will ultimately be successful? Um, one of my current new students, for example, is playing with, uh, with the model uh, GPT-3 mm -hmm. and uh, looking at logical um, reasoning and so on and where the limitations are. And it does break down, of course, at, one, at some point. So um, I think it's important that we are aware of the, the limitations of these approaches. We can get very far, but uh, you're not going to get to some kind of general intelligence um, with that type of approach. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's something that struck me when I was in my machine learning classes. Mm. Of, it was really nailed into our heads of, you know, these are really fancy math models. Don't mm -hmm. get it confused that this is some mm -hmm. perfect oracle. Right. Uh, right. And, you know, people place too much trust yeah. in it and then things fail. Um, On the other end, you could argue that we people are maybe the same thing. <laughs> they were <laughs> under the illusion that we're so, uh, <laughs> that we have general intelligence and so on, but maybe we're also just predictors <laughs> yeah. based on data. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if I can ask yeah. you an yeah. esoteric question, um, mm. you know, some people maintain that we don't have free will and are basically mm. just, you know, advanced computers. What do you mm -hmm. what do you think about this? Do you think we mm -hmm. are, um, you know, free agents or we, the consciousness is just an illusion? <laughs> Well, I, I believe, yeah, I think we we have free will, but at the same time, <laughs> I believe that we uh, are machines. <laughs> mm. I mean, ultimately, or there, the, I don't believe that there is some magical ingredient that somehow we won't be able to uh, uh, reproduce in, in machines. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So mm -hmm. do you think it would be possible to kind of upload human consciousness to, to be kind of cliche a little bit into some so <laughs> software only framework? Hmm. To be honest, I mean, it's not 
a question that that <laughs> sort of I think a lot yeah. um, about. I'm more practically <laughs> minded, um, but uh, in in principle, it should be possible. But I think that entity would be very unhappy. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I. I mean, yeah. I certainly really value mm -hmm. my human body. And somewhat related question is going back again to the Zapiens mm -hmm. panel we had two years ago. There was a question from the audience of, um, you know, given any of the great ideas that were talked about that mm -hmm. day, which were, you know, some of David Sinclair's work, your work, mm -hmm. etc. Um, each panel member was asked to pick which technology they would like if they mm -hmm. could have their pick of just one. Mm -hmm. And I believe your answer was. Aging without any sort of degradation yeah. would be great, um, which I completely agree with you on. And but that's not directly what you work on. Um, so there's the yeah. you know digital aspect of augmentation. There's mm. you know biological chemical methods, mm -hmm. and I wonder why you don't work on you know the mm. biological aspects of how you can improve aging. Yeah, well, we do a teeny bit of bio biology related work, but my toolkit is the digital toolkits. Mm. I feel like I've already expanded by going from just software, which is what I was uh, trained to work on uh, AI and computer science, uh, to also including electrical engineering. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm not a biologist, so it's not my toolkit. But at the same time, I still feel that even though we're supposedly like, uh, I mean, in the bio era now, and that's where all the big excitement is uh, with Ginkgo Bioworks going public this week <laughs> and so on. Um, I still think that digital technologies are um, wonderful in that they are um, easy to make available at a low cost uh, the development is so much quicker mm. oh, God, uh, being yeah. able to do experiments and so on right. uh, as compared to experiments in biology uh, we definitely have it easy um, as um, uh, sort of uh, ee and cs people compared to the biologists right. um, so yeah that's I, I just think there's a lot more potential still in this area area to do things and yeah so, again, in reviewing all of the work that you've kind of um, been on, it's really been inspiring to see, you know, all the things that one human can be a part of. Mm -hmm. um, and we were curious what your mentors kind of looked like mm. when you were, you know, hmm. yeah, working my... on your younger career. Yeah, yeah. Uh, mentors. Huh. Um, I think great teachers really like uh, I basically came to MIT to work with um, with two people <laughs> Rodney Brooks and Marvin Minsky and uh, so I, I would say those are definitely um, maybe two of my most important mentors and um, I was attracted to their work because they dare to take risks, actually, and they dare to be different than everybody else. Uh, I mean, for a long time, Rodney Brooks was seen as the bad boy of AI, sort of. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, I think I, I learned from them to uh, take risks and to also just have fun doing what you're doing to not take it too seriously either to just have a great time and be a great mentor as well and care about the people um, that are working uh, with you because ultimately I mean that's the the secret to the success is the great students basically <laughs> <laughs> yeah so mm -hmm. along those lines um, 
Is there any, uh, I'm not sure if you want to, but is there any kind of um, mistakes or things that you wish you could have changed over your past, you know, 30 mm. years of working in the field? Anything you feel like you missed? Something like this. No, I think I've been very lucky to be, hmm. um, to land in this place in the Media Lab, which I still think is one of the most exciting and unique um, yeah. laboratories in the world. So um, I've just been very lucky. <laughs> I don't think it's necessarily my like natural intelligence or my hard work I, I um but yeah lucky to to be here and to work with great students mm -hmm. so um so i know we're winding down on time mm -hmm. and there's something i really wanted to ask you which is i've really been interested in um some of your devices which help people basically become the person that they want to be mm -hmm. that's something that really resonates with mm -hmm. me and i think resonates with a lot of people of you know, there's some idea I have that I want to be, but mm -hmm. man, yeah. getting out of bed every morning is tough. Mm -hmm. And once I get going, it's okay. Um, for me, what seems to really be able to push me is if I just put on the right song. So mm. basically music has some, you know, maybe I'm working out or maybe I'm studying and if it's quiet, okay, I'm tired, but I'll just get a song on mm. and it somehow kind of, you know, puts me in the right mindset. Yes. Do you have any kind of thoughts? I mean, do you experience a similar thing? Do you think it can be classified as some sort of like augmentation? Oh, totally, totally. I, uh, we've been looking in the last couple of years at uh, sort of how certain modalities, uh, other modalities can really help people, um, for example, motivate, uh, motivating them and so mm -hmm. on, or just making them feel better. And it turns out that, um, I mean, I feel like we've spent too much time uh, thinking about the mind, sort of, and, mm -hmm. and, and there's actually a lot of... Um, our body is equally important as our mind and, and our uh, emotions and how we feel and so on. So we've actually been uh, working, for example, on looking at uh, music and what effect it has on you mm. by, uh, for example, looking at EEG while you play your playlists and seeing mm. correlations in terms of, hey, you're, you feel calmer if you listen to this music or you seem to be more uh, excited when you <laughs> listen to this other music and so on. So I think we need to understand the bodily basis of cognition really better and, and explore some of these other pathways of helping people and influencing people that aren't about reasoning with people or, or aren't about uh, the system telling you, like, be more focused or be more <laughs> motivated or something. Right. Um, so I think that all of that has been uh, not has not been studied sufficiently hmm. in human computer interaction, and there's enormous potential there. Even uh, smells, uh, right. well, like you said, Essence. music, right. colors, um, uh, uh, all sorts of other uh, things, temperature, and so on. They all have an effect on how we feel and. Um, how or, or what things we we are sort of good at in the moment and um, we have been looking at all of that and, and looking at psychology studies for example mm. to get inspiration for example we have like one device that just gives you a sensation of chills mm -hmm. uh, because whenever you get that sensation of chills you actually are a lot more alert and your memory you really remember what happens in that moment like mm -hmm. when you first learned that the Twin Towers were um, falling down um, or something. I mean, I st it still gives me the chills now, it just actually, me, thinking yeah. about <laughs> it. Um, but that's actually um, sort of a... Um, 
again, a way that you can influence a person's uh, mind mm -hmm. by uh, basically influencing or doing stimulating their body in some way. So we, our device gives you the feeling of chills right. at certain moments when you should be paying attention and when you should be like... Um, uh, putting something uh, in, in memory, basically. So these are some of the ideas that right. we are um, exploring in uh, with human studies. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, it's, we'd really love to, you know, have a follow-up with you in, you know, some number yes. of months and talk to you yeah. more about specifically the music you just mentioned and Frisian. Mm -hmm. And um, it's, you know, now we'll, we'll pack up and we've used enough of your precious time, but we can't thank you enough. It's really been so amazing talking to you and hopefully we can get to talk again in the oh, future. This is great. So I'm happy to talk again longer next time <laughs> or show you some of our devices and oh that would be great to the students that would be yeah. wonderful so okay well thank awesome. you so much again All right. <laughs> thank you yeah